good to be with you this morning. I am from that place of uh, forever fires known as California, but I am happy to be with you here in Ohio this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence this morning. Pastor Brian, for welcoming me. Would you join me in prayer as we pause and let God come before us? Lord, we, we acknowledge that it is for such a time as this you have gathered us to your name. Lord, some of us, well, every single person in this room, Lord, made a very simple decision. I'm going to church today. Lord, may that be a big, uh, may it just simply be uh, a wonderful thing that we have come into your presence. Lord, may each of us this morning leave transformed in some way closer to the image of Christ, to the beauty of Christ. Lord, by your spirit, would you teach us anew about your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Arbite mocked fry. Arbite mocked fry. Does anybody know German and care to translate for us this morning? Work will make you free. I was in Poland just a couple of years ago and went to that horrendous place, the Nazi concentration camp of Auschwitz, and Outside of all the Nazi concentration camps is this exact same sign. Arbeit macht frei. Work will make you free. Which, of course, is a hideous lie. Obviously, the propaganda from the Nazis was, all right, Jews, as you come in, if you just work hard enough, obviously we'll let you go. That's the propaganda. As we know, they were not. Nobody made it out. It's a hideous, hideous lie. Work does not make you free. And this morning, I would like to try and convince you that there is a spiritual lie that's very similar to Arbeit mocked fry. And that is this. It is the lie that says, working for your salvation will set you free. I want to submit to you this morning that that is a hideous lie. And secondly, that it will have negative consequences in your relationships. And then thirdly, after those two warnings, we'll get into something called grace that we were singing about this morning that's pretty nice. It's pretty awesome. So first, Paul, the apostle, in the book of Galatians, his most angry of his letters. He is very upset for very different reasons than he was upset in, let's say, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, they were sinning real good, as you probably all know. Now in Galatians, Paul is even more upset, and they're sinning, but in a very different way. We could go... Uh, will this go? There we go. That's fine. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slavery to your sin, slavery to yourselves. And then a few verses later in verse 4. You who are trying to be made righteous by law rather than through the cross. You who are trying to be made righteous by your own efforts, by your own arbites, your own work. You who are trying to be made, right, made, made righteous by law have been what? Made closer to Christ? No. You've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And so what is going on in Galatia? What is now the country of Turkey? Were they sinning real good? In a sense, yes, but in a very different way. They were being too religious. If you recall the book of Galatians, what's happening is some uh, Christians have come up from Jerusalem to Galatia and they've, they're talking to the Galatians. Oh, Paul was just here, started the church, and you guys have all become Christians and you're all Gentiles, aren't you? Well, welcome to the faith. We're, we're glad you're Christians. Now, did he tell you the rest of the story? rest of the story, he told us the gospel. Oh, no, 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 no. There's, there's a little bit more that Paul must have not told you about. You do need to get circumcised in addition to your faith in Christ if you want to be a real good super Christian. And the Gentile Galatians go, well, he didn't say anything about that. And so there was confusion. And so some of the Galatian Gentiles are thinking, oh, well, maybe I need to add this religious thing, circumcision, to my faith in Christ. And if you go back to our verse, Paul thinks that is a really bad idea. You who are trying to be made righteous by a religious act, circumcision in this case, substitute going to church more often, substitute praying more often, substitutes giving more money more often to, to the work of the Lord, Substitute any good work, religious work. It's a good intent, but Paul says it's really bad for your spiritual health. You have been made alienated from Christ, literally cut off from Christ in the Greek. You have fallen away from grace. Think about this. In our culture in America, if you've heard the phrase fallen away from grace, typically what we mean is, oh, you know, so-and-so is sipping the sauce again. Hasn't been in church in like three weeks. They've fallen away from grace. Their sin and real good is basically what we mean. What Paul means is the Galatians have fallen to grace by trying to do something good. They're trying to add to their faith. But that's really bad for your spiritual health because as we sang, Jesus paid it all. Not 99%, not three quarters. You don't have to do any part of it. And if you do try to add to your salvation or try to earn any part of your salvation, Paul says you're going to be falling away from grace. Do you want to fall away from grace? No, I didn't think so. So Paul gets really, really, really upset in Galatians. Working for your salvation will not make you free. It will make you a slave. Because if you start working for your salvation, what happens is you go, have I done enough? Is this enough? 
is this enough? And you start trying to work harder to earn whatever part of your salvation you think you need to earn. And as you think about it, every single religion in the world, except for Christianity, is based on you earning your salvation. It is based on Arbeit mocked Fry. That is the whole idea. Your spiritual efforts hopefully will attain spiritual enlightenment, except for Christianity. We have this whole thing called the incarnation where God comes down to us, dies on the cross for us. We sing in our songs, and I hope you believe, Christ and me. No, we don't sing Christ and me. We sing Christ alone. Think about this. Paul, before he became a Christian, was very religious, wasn't he? Was he not a Pharisee that he tells us? that he tried to be extremely pious. And in his working for his own salvation, again, before he became a Christian, in other words, before he understood grace, he was so zealous in his religious working, he did what? What did he do to Christians before he became a Christian? He killed him. And it was what kind of thinking that led Paul to killing Christians? Did he think to himself, I love being a mass murderer, and I just love sinning, and that's what I'm about? Obviously, what was he was thinking in his head was, I am being religious by killing these cult people who are trying to pervert true religion. It is not that dissimilar to what happened on 9-11. Those terrorists did not think in their head, I love being a mass murderer. They obviously were mass murderers, but in their head, why did they do what they did? What was their intent? What was their motivation? Did not they think to themselves on the religion that they were a part of that said, if you do this, you will go to paradise, right? They were indeed trying to earn their Salvation, Arbeit, mocked, fry, harder, more, work. It's a terrible lie. And it gets into the back door of our faith, sometimes unaware. Big lie number two. Virtually everyone in the world thinks something like this. I'm a pretty good person. If I just do a little more good than bad, I'll be all right. I bet you've heard many people in your life say something like that. I, when I get to heaven and I see old Pete at the pearly gates, I'm basically going to say, now, you know, I went to church more than the guy behind me, right? You know, I gave a little bit more money than the guy behind me. Don't let that guy in. That's, that guy was not quite as good as me. That's what people think. And it's not going to work. No amount of your good works is going to get you past good old Pete. And that's obviously not exactly how the Bible phrases it, but that's how we culturally sometimes talk about it. You want to stay far away from this thinking of, I'm a pretty good person. Scripture obviously says we have, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's such a 
simple thought that I'm a pretty good person and I don't need anything else, but it is going to keep you from Christ. Again, back to Galatians 5.4. You who are trying to be made righteous by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from the greatest thing in the universe, which is God's grace. We want to stay far away from falling away from grace. In other words, my warning to you this morning is stop being religious. Stop being religious. Sometimes I might be on an airplane and someone will be sitting next to you and they say, oh, what do you do? And I, I'm always loath to tell people that I'm a pastor. Because typically what happens when you say I'm a pastor, they go, oh. And they, they want to say, oh, I'm sorry, whatever I said before, maybe I swore. You know, they, 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 they think all kinds of things and the conversation goes off in various ways. But... And I lost what I was going to say, but my point was about the plane ride there. Um, so I'm going to go to my next slide. Religion, I want to be clear what I mean when I say stop being religious. Religion, meaning any attempt to earn God's favor, separates us from God. It inhibits rather than enhances our ability to connect with Christ. Now, I want to be very clear that I mean by religion any attempt to earn God's favor. That's, that is what I mean, nothing more, nothing less, when I use that word this morning. Sometimes, of course, we use the word religion to mean I believe in God. Clearly, I believe in God. Sometimes we mean, uh, when someone says, are you religious, they mean, do you go to church? It's a good thing to go to church. But it's a really bad thing to try to earn God's favor. It's not about earning, it's about honoring. It's not about earning, it's about honoring what Christ has done. Christianity Today, the uh, premier, if you will, evangelical newspaper that Billy Graham started way back in the 1950s, puts it like this. To continue to work for our justification, that's a fancy word for salvation, instead of accepting, instead of simply accepting our Salvation is the essence of religion. Stop being religious. It's bad for you. I remember I grew up in a Christian school. And certainly they tried to teach us scripture. But as a kid, I got lots of other non-grace type messages. Such as, do not ever play cards. Even bridge, it might lead to poker. And you might go to hell. I got other messages Above all, that said something like, don't you ever dare even think about dancing. Those were kind of the big messages that I got as a kid at the Christian school. What I got, the message I received was, oh, to be a good Christian means don't play cards, don't go to movies, and do not dance. That obviously is not a very good definition of what it means to be a Christian. Those were cultural artifacts that didn't have a lot to do with grace. Think about the story of Mary and Martha in the Gospel of Luke. And here I want to go beyond how the idea of 
working for your salvation will make you free and how terrible that lie is to how it will impact your relationships here with the sisters of Mary and Martha. If you recall in the story in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus comes over to Mary and Martha's house. Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha goes into the kitchen. And we can imagine that Martha's cooking up some good soup and she might be thinking something like, I need to make the best meal of my life for Jesus. I've got to do it all for Jesus. I've got to earn his favor and his love. He's in my house. And then she had a thought, wait a second. If I have to work hard to earn Jesus's favor, where's my sister? She should have to work hard like me to earn Jesus's favor too. So as you recall, she does not step out into the living room. Uh, my darling sister, my, my wonderful, wonderful sister Mary, could I just interrupt you just for a moment and have just a couple seconds of your time? There's no gentleness, obviously, in Martha's thinking because she's on the religious program of earning, earning, and what does she do? She doesn't even speak to her sister. She is so upset. She says, Jesus, you tell my sister, get back here and help out. When you put yourself on the work religious program, you tend to put your family and your friends and anyone around you on the same program because you think if I have to work hard, they should have to work hard too. That does not really work to have a good relationship. We don't know the rest of this story, but I'm guessing that Mary and Martha had a little conversation after Jesus left and it probably wasn't so good. Mary was probably pretty upset with her sister. I was doing what Jesus said I should be doing. As you recall, the end of the story, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're upset about many things, but Mary has chosen what is best and will not be taken from her. Mary is simply receiving, right? All she's doing is receiving. Martha is trying to earn and earn, and she's put herself on a program that she should not have done. But that's easy to do. Think about the thief on the cross. Thief on the cross becomes a Christian. Two minutes later, he's dead. We imagine him in heaven. Let's go back to the image of St. Peter. And let's say Peter says, uh, thief, what in the world are you doing here? I know what kind of life you had. Now, were you in church last Sunday? No, I've never been to church in my life. Now, were you at Wednesday night Bible study last Sunday? Never been to Wednesday night. Now, have you been reading your, I never even read the Bible. What in the world are you doing here, thief? And we can imagine the risen Christ perhaps walking by and the thief just saying, well, he said I could come. And that's the only reason any of us are going, right? The thief didn't have any time, didn't have time to get baptized, let's say. That's a really good thing. If you're a Christian, you should get baptized. But he didn't have time for that. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Christ alone. Jesus paid it all. Do you really believe that? Or have you subconsciously or consciously put yourself on the, I need to do a little bit of work program, and thus maybe have you started to put some of your friends and family on the, 
you know what? You haven't done the dishes in a little while. I'm going to withhold my affection from you until you do a little bit of more work for me. That's a really bad way to have a good relationship with somebody. Ephesians 2.8 is the great verse on grace. I'm sure it's very familiar to you. It is by grace, that is God's kindness, God's favor, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is one of the most beautiful, Christ-exalting verses in Scripture. C.S. Lewis once asked, what makes Christianity unique among the world's religions? C.S. Lewis, as you might recall, was a professor at Cambridge of medieval literature, famously wrote a book called Mere Christianity. If you have not read that book, I highly recommend you read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. His response, though, was not the Trinity, not the Incarnation. His response was immediate, grace. Grace is what is unique about Christianity. All other religions are trying to earn God's favor. Christianity is all about grace, God giving his favor to us based on the work of Christ and no one else. When you turn to the Gospels, one of the things that, that is unusual if you start reading them long enough is who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Everyone's a sinner, of course, but the Pharisees stand out in the Gospels as the people that Jesus speaks against the most. And as you'll recall, they were religious leaders. In essence, they were people, people like me. They were pastors. And Jesus reserves his harshest criticism for these pastors, not because they're pastors, but because they were trying to put other people, in addition to themselves, on the Arbeit Mocked Fry program that works will set you spiritually free. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Recall, Paul was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. You hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are because you put them on the same religious program that doesn't work. It's all about grace and you guys have blown it. And when you try to convert other people to your little religious program, that doesn't work either. It makes it worse. It's a little strange to think about, but it's sort of like this. It's the religious, often, not the irreligious, that give God the most trouble. You think about the Gospels, the prostitutes, the tax collectors are running to Jesus because they know they got problems. The Pharisees, the religious, are self-righteous, smug, don't think they have problems. It's diff more difficult for them to come to Christ. Now, the opposite of the great lie, Arbeit macht frei, the opposite of that is the great truth. Freedom will make you work. Freedom will make you work. Isaiah 64, 4 says that God works on behalf of those who wait for him. God works for us. 
God works on behalf of those who wait for him. The great truth is freedom will make you work. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you've received, freely give. The problem is, if you think you need to earn even a part of your salvation, and you've put yourself on this works religious program, you don't believe this. It is more difficult to freely give away forgiveness when people offend you because you've put them on the program that they need to work hard for their salvation in your personal relationship with them. Think about this, gift versus present. Every Christmas, of course, we exchange gifts. My question for you this morning is, do you give Christmas presents or do you give Christmas gifts? Here's the difference. A gift is when you give something to someone with no expectation in return. That's a gift. A present is when you give something to someone, oh, hear this, and you expect something of equal or greater value in return. Right? When you give, when you give a gift, do you give it away freely or are you expecting something in return? That's the difference between a gift and a present. Now, I'd like to close this morning by sharing with you a story about a father and a son. And this father and son is also, it's a real story, but it serves also as a parable. The father serving as a, an image of God, the son serving as a, a, a metaphor for all of us. So here's the true story of this father and this son. A son wanted to run a five-mile race at his school. He asked his dad permission. His dad said, that'd be fine. Go ahead and run in the race. The son said, thank you, dad. However, dad, it would be more fun if you ran the race with me. Would you do that? And the dad said, sure. So the father and the son, they ran the five-mile race. The son loved it so much. He said, dad... Oh, that was pretty fun. How about next we try a marathon? Yeah, you know, 26 miles. And his dad said, well, I've never done that before, but okay. So the father and the son, they ran a marathon together, and the son, he loved it so much, he said, Dad, there's this thing called an Ironman triathlon that's even cooler than a marathon where you run, you bike, and you swim. How about we do that together? And the father said, I don't swim. But the dad learned to swim. And the father and the son, they did a triathlon Ironman together. And I'd like to show you now the actual video of that Ironman they did together. I have heard so many songs Listened to a thousand tongues But there is one 
that sounds above them all. The father's song, the father's love. You sung it over me and for eternity. It's written on my heart. Heaven's perfect melody, the Creator's symphony. You are singing over me, the Father's song. Heaven's perfect mystery. The King of Love has sent for me, and now you're singing over me the Father's song. I have heard so many songs, listened to a thousand tongues, but there is one. Sounds above them all. Sounds above them all. The Father's song, the Father's love. You sung it over me and for eternity. It's written on my heart. Heaven's perfect melody. The Creator's symphony. You are singing over me. The Father's song. Heaven's perfect mystery. The King of Love has sent for me, and now you're singing over me. The Father's song. It's heaven's perfect mystery. The King of Love has sent for me, and now you're singing over me the Father's song. The Father's song, the Father's love. You sung it over me and for eternity. It's written on my heart. It's written on my heart. You sing it over me, Father. Wouldn't it be great if we all had a dad?
that loved us like that. Good news. We all have a heavenly dad that loves us like that. The grace of God is like that father's love for his son. The son, of course, does nothing to earn the father's love. Our heavenly father loves us. His grace towards us is even greater than that father's love for his son. As you watched that video, there was a song playing called The Father's Song, and it's adapted from this verse, Zephaniah 3.17, which says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will quiet you with his love and he will joy over you with singing. If you are the beloved of God, if you have become a Christian because of the grace of God and you've received Christ as your Savior and you've repented of your sins, you have every night when you go to bed the Lord of the universe singing a lullaby over you saying good night, see you in the morning, and I love you. And do you hear that voice of God in your head or do you hear something more condemning? And is that condemnation that perhaps sometimes you hear in your head a result perhaps, not necessarily, but perhaps a result partially of putting yourself on the works program, not sure if you've done enough good to earn your salvation, which again is a lie. It is about the grace of God. In the end, in the end, at the end of time, it is all about the grace of God. That'll be the only reason we're standing before Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that your love for us is like this Father's love for his Son. We give you thanks for your grace. We give you thanks that we don't have to be spinning our wheels our entire, entire life, wondering if we've done enough. Lord, we have this thing called the assurance of salvation. Lord, that we've been sealed by your spirit, guaranteed a place in heaven because of your grace that you've given to us through Christ, through Christ's work on the cross. Lord, this morning we receive that and we thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen.